You are listening to a podcast, not just any podcast, but the 13th podcast of the Something on My Mind program. I am David. And I am Cindy. Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast. We appreciate your listenership, and you can catch us on SOMM.podcast on Instagram. Okay, so what's on the docket? What is the something that is on our minds this week? This week is heavily centered on anniversaries. In the first topic, we will go over the history of how Cindy and I met and how we ended up doing this podcast together. And for the first financial topic, which has been a topic of late from our listeners, is it better to budget separately or have one unified budget within your household? We will cover the ins and outs of both sides of it and give you our recommendation. And for the second financial topic and the second anniversary topic has to do with a former baseball player named Bobby Bonilla. Back in the year 2000, the Mets asked him to defer his salary till 2011, but gave him an interest rate, which would accumulate to a large sum of money over time. Therefore, every July 1st for the next 25 years starting in 2011, Bonilla would receive the same lump sum payment, thereby creating his own pension plan. And the reason that the Mets wanted to do this was that they were making a large sum of interest on their money because they were investing with a man named Bernie Madoff. So we'll cover the story and find out who made more money in the long run. And this week, after a three-week hiatus, we will bring back the coronavirus montage. So we will cover a set of stories that are not often found in the mainstream media. Some of the stories this week include the president's ability to shoot down a hurricane with a nuclear bomb and how a woman in Denmark created toilet paper cake to keep her business alive and thriving. And we'll cover some creative tweets that we're finding from people and what they're doing to manage together working at home. And for the human interest story of the week, and this covers our last anniversary topic about a couple who met online and they were 76 and 83 respectively, and now they're married and have their own future anniversaries to look forward to. All right, we are on to the podcast where we go through the roundtable, and this is where we have no script. We just let it rip. All right, I'm going to kick it off this week, and I want to start by saying happy anniversary to my lovely wife. Happy anniversary, honey. And uh, I don't want to spoil the mood here, but uh, did you know that the average length of marriage in the United States is eight years? That doesn't surprise me. And we've been together. Oh, eight years. (laughs) (laughs) They say it gets worse from the second and third marriage and so on in terms of percentage, but I, hopefully I think we got this one licked. And you know what? Here's a cool thing. My uncle's been married six times, so I can guarantee you I'm not heading in that direction. Thank God. Honestly, though, I did post something on Facebook in our backyard, which is our labor of love together, and it was a former colleague that wrote back and said, I remember a time that your life wasn't so rosy, and that is reflecting back on my um, my former marriage. And she said, I'm so happy that you found your soulmate and your person in life. And, you know, the the crazy thing is, is two weeks before I met you, I remember very specifically, hands up to the yaya gods, as I called them, shouting out, you know, I don't need a man. I'm good. The kids and I are great. And we just got pudged two weeks prior. That night we went out. We were going out. My best friend, you and I were having dinner with a mutual friend that we knew but didn't know each other the Australian and, friend exactly our, our Aussie friend he was going back to Australia with his wife was back there so anyway we were celebrating his birthday 
and shopped that day, hated the shirt I had on. My friend looked gorgeous. I got in the car. I said, I will give you one hour of my time. I'm not doing this. I look like an asshole, I think is very specifically what I said in the car. And got there, met you. One hour later turned into what? We were closing the bar at 2 o'clock. I was not driving, well overserved. And I just remembered, you remember what, what uh, occurred throughout our conversation? I, rem- I remember you specifically saying, I like short guys. <laughs> no, that's, I, that's not true. I, I, was sitting at, I was sitting on the bar stool and I turned around and I'm like, he's so cute, but he's like eye to eye to me and I'm sitting on the bar stool. But you look so cute in your little Roy Dobler coat. Yeah, so uh, one thing led to another and... You know, it's funny when you look back on things, you only remember specific things because our brains can't handle the capacity. Right. We knew that uh, there was a connection there because uh, me writing a book and her being in finance. So we kind of came up with that. Invest $10,000 and in a year from now, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like that way of saying we're going to see each other again. And let's see whose portfolio is bigger. Yeah, you're like, let's meet one year from tonight. And this is how funny and nerdy the whole finance connection is because who does that? (laughs) who builds out fake portfolios for each other on the night that they meet. But we are going to meet one year from now. And I just remember you saying, you know, I got Starbucks. That's my ringer. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so in love, I think. Well, maybe I was so into uh, half a bottle of wine at that point. but Well, uh, alcohol uh, lowers inhibitions, <laughs> and bar light always makes people look oh, I more attractive. Amazing. Yeah, my, my feeling frumpy turned into it. But yet, I was like talking with my hands. Remember, I spilled my glass of wine, and it was just, I felt like that was a little bit of a disaster. But I think uh, your knee was touching my knee by the end of the night. In fact, I have dimmers on every switch in the house just to make sure that Cindy's always in bar light. That's right. Oh, wait, they sound very nice. I know, it's not true. But the uh, dimmers are true, not because of that. Yeah. We do light a lot of candles, though. Well, that was the other thing. Well, getting ahead of myself, but I do remember waking up the next day, the next morning. Actually, it was the next afternoon. A little slow to get up that day. Like, darn, I know I made that statement two weeks prior, but I really like this guy. And uh, what do we do? We went to Costco a week later for our first date. Talked in prior podcasts, that Costco card. Bulk goods got me, got me in the door, right? And then I think two weeks later, we had our first date. And if a Costco card is all it takes to impress somebody, I'm like, this is going to be a breeze. (laughs) You were somebody. And then I remember, like, I think he told me he wrote a book. And I, you know, of course, I'm like, okay, let's just Google him to make sure he's not some serial killer before I go out and have a, a Costco date with him. And I think you came up in like, I don't know, 10 different languages for your book. You know, writing a book is great for pickup lines. But no one ever believes it anyway. They have to go check. Like, yeah, of course. Yeah, you wrote a book, whatever. Yeah. But it maybe gets you in the door a little bit, makes you look (laughs) a little more attractive per se than you may really be. So, yeah. Then what, two weeks later, you did light candles. We uh, had our first date. And then, I don't know, that was it. We married a year and four months later after that. So, and I can say that even though I made that statement, that I didn't need a man, we were good, is what I realized is I needed the right man. So I couldn't ask for a better partner in life and a better stock picker. Well, we're two partners, and really my puzzle piece is different than your puzzle piece, and it, they just fit together. I mean, if I could sum it up in any way. I will say, though, a few years into the marriage, I told your dad when he was visiting that your ex-husband was so bad 
then all I have to do is perform at half of the capacity and still be double the man that that guy was. <laughs> it was like an easy thing for me. It's like a joke. Your ex-husband was so bad. How bad was he? Yeah, he's, <laughs> he uh, was bad. He was bad. We'll get into that in another podcast. But but the cool thing is, after all these years, that we get to sit here and make a podcast, which we never thought of, and now we can sit here and help people talking about the very things that we talked about when we met. So this is very rewarding to us. So this is awesome. Here's to you, baby. Okay, so that'll do it for the roundtable this week, and we'll move on to the next topic. Okay, so we are on to the financial topic of the week, and we're going to go a little off script here because we didn't prep. So I have a question for you. Do you know why people get divorced? What would be some of the top reasons? Sex. Infidelity is the number one. Cheating, yeah. That's what I see in most uh, articles that I've read. Uh, Another one here is lack of communication. What? Lack of communication. <laughs> Are you trying to tell me something? Communication is number three. Number three, okay. Constant arguing, weight gain. Don't even go there. Uh, I, I don't. I don't even. I don't even. Did I no, just? Did I just say something? You're actually stuttering. Did I just say something? You're stuttering. I don't even know what I just said. Okay, the, the last, it was COVID. Okay, all I had to do was bake. The last thirty seconds, I don't even know what I said. You sure as hell better not. Lack of intimacy, as we pointed out on a prior podcast that the uh, ladies on Ashley Madison have really been ramping up the uh, promiscuous type of behavior behind the husband's backs. Because they're not keeping it spicy at home, ladies. Lack of equality, not being prepared for marriage, abuse. We don't want to get into that right now. But the number two, what is the number two? The one and two come out to be the same way in everything that I've read. What is the second most reason that people have arguments about, and essentially divorce. I think it's got to be money. Oh, wow. What a shock. We're talking about finances on a financial podcast. (laughs) Shocking. However, this is a question that we're going to pose that has come up from many listeners, which is when it comes to finances in the household, do you manage them separately or do you manage them as a unit? Well, interestingly, we know people that keep their finances separate. It's something, personally, I can't comprehend. Everything we do, we work together. But you can't comprehend it because you only know one way. Well, I do know one way, but I do know, and we've had this conversation in our house. It, there was a time that we did try this because I felt like well, partially. I was losing my some of my independence. That was in the very beginning. I want to be able to spend my own money. But that was, just that, your, that was just spending money. Right. That's what I'm saying is I had this, you know, ideal that, I can't be an independent person unless I have my independent account. And the funny thing is what happened is I didn't like it. Every month with the normal bills, what we do, we have a free set of cash to blow. And you can blow it on anything that you want. So I said, okay, you know what? Here's a separate bank account. Here's half the money. And when you blow it, it's out. You're done. That was the agreement. And the funny thing is, is half the time, I didn't even want to spend it. Because it was my money that I didn't want to deplete. It was psychological for me. And then I ended up wanting to spend the money out of our account together because I wanted you to see what I was buying. So, but I didn't, and you had no, no interest. I mean, that never, was, I never did no, have an interest. Not, not at all. And that's, it wasn't about that. It was just more about, honestly, for me, it felt too separated in the beginning of time and talked in the very first podcast. It was, I think, that when I came to you as that very, um, financially challenged single mom in the beginning, I had to come clean about what I was turning over to you. Here's my bank accounts. Here's the spending. It sucked. 
I was overspending on food. I wasn't budgeting in the right place. But when we came together and came to an agreement that everything we were going to do, we were going to do together, just made it feel more cohesive to me. I think if you look out there enough, many people are going to say, or if you will, experts or articles are going to say, ultimately, it's better if you do them as a unit because you are a unit as a whole in your marriage, not just with finances, but with your decision-making goals, kids, whatever it may be that you want to do in life. And this is one piece of it. Finance management in your household, to me, is like one of the big four. You have have the marriage itself. You have the children. You have religion, if that's something important to you. The fourth pillar is personal finance. And so if you don't have a cohesive plan together to manage it, it can cause a lot of problems. For example, if you don't budget, which we know that 67%, 65%, somewhere in there, of the population doesn't even budget. So if you're managing money separately without budgeting, that's already a problem. Number two, even if you budget, that means you have to go back and have two budgets. And that means you have to collaborate together on a regular basis to make sure that everything came out every month. One of the main things that you need to consider is if there's a big difference between incomes between the two parties. For example, if one person makes 40 grand and the other person makes 80 grand, the person making 40 can only pay so much of the budget bills off. And if that person also needs to put money into the retirement plan, or at least to get the match from the employer, she may not or he may not have enough money to do that. So that means the person making 80 is going to have to pay other things to allow the person making the 40 to meet the numbers that he or she needs to. So it can be very complicated. I mean, there's like, we could go on with scenario there's after scenario. Way of, many di- yeah, there's way many variables to this. And that's why for us, it strengthens our relationship. We are accountable to each other. I am an overspender um, for the most part. We know that. But knowing that I do have a budget and that you keep our budget, you run our, our household like a business virtually. There's a certain line I can't cross. People out there are going to cringe that this is so old school. This is what we choose to do because we choose to make this a a unit together. We are ultimately working no matter who makes more or who makes less to the financial goal of the end result, which is we want to retire together. We want to have that equal playing ground, right? It's not my money or your money. And I think there's going to be a lot of people that disagree on this. Maybe, maybe not. But by the same token, it is designed so that there's so many safeguards in place that I really only do the bills once a month. If I'm good, maybe twice a month. So I'm not looking at them all the time. I just know that we have things in there that cover the spending that we need. And yes, do we go over on our bills? Absolutely. In the spending category, we're fortunate enough to be able to have money to draw from outside of that if we need to. But for the most part, we stick to what's in that budget, and I don't go and look at what Cindy's spending. I just know that if I do my periodic check and I'll say, hey, you know, this is going out of whack here, then that's something that we have to manage together. For example, we're redoing our basement right now. In fact, we're making a studio for this podcast to be done in, right? That's a lot of money. So if we were splitting the bills on that, that would certainly be a pain in the ass to manage it. So it always comes down to the agreements that you've made with each other. When you're talking cohesively and planning cohesively and have an agreement on things, you're going to spend less time trying to figure things out as if you had two separate budgets. Right off the bat, that to me is very hard to go the other way, in my opinion. Well, I agree. And I mean, I think, you know, if there's communication is lacking or trust is broken or one person is violating the trust of what... I mean, the bottom line is a lot of people don't budget. There's no sense of accountability because one person can be just out there spending endlessly and the other one's trying to work to save towards goals. Then you've got this joint account that's off kilter, right? You have to come to a common agreement when you join forces what that 
end result is going to be for you. And it's not the same for everybody. And we know people who successfully have separate accounts. Here's the other thing, though. Joint financial accounting, if you will, keeps you honest. For example, I was talking to our contractor. He said he was talking to some girl and her husband had dragged their entire finances into the ground. And it had to do with taxes or not paying taxes. I believe there was a foreclosure in there or buying things you couldn't afford. And the first thing I thought of was if they had a joint budget, that would have been caught. And she may not have been in this spot because she was watching it together as a group about how the money was managed. And I can actually attest to that fact that I did have an ex-husband who did exactly that. He started other bank accounts, started funneling money that it wasn't any of my business. And as a result, um, for a minute, I actually thought you were talking about me no. and my ex-husband because that's exactly what I went through. And it was always, well, you manage the finances, and but I'm going to take my portion of the very little money that I earned. And there was no accountability to the big picture. So in the end result, again, when I came to you, you know where I was at. And when we joined forces, we came to an agreement together of what we wanted our end result to be. And there's, you know, I think it's still very small. Studies show that 20% of the people out there, married couples, keep their finances separate. 43% of women want to because they want to maintain their independence. The other part is, I kind of mentioned this already, but what about your financial planning, your management for your, your retirement, your pre-retirement planning, right? Right. you got to have a goal together on that. You have to have a goal for your rainy day fund. You have to have a goal for your emergency fund. Who's managing all of that? Like you have to make sure that, that I hit my goal and I hit my mark and what are those numbers supposed to be? Because you have to base that on your combined income. You can't base your emergency fund based on your 40,000. You guys live in the same house. The other guy makes 80, right? Well, his emergency fund would be different. It's just very convoluted in the way I see it. If you can make it work having separate budgets, that's entirely up to you. We certainly don't judge. We just don't think of it that way because we're a very cohesive couple. And the one thing, again, leading back to what we did in terms of having some privacy was, again, have a separate bank account. Cindy chose not to have it in the end, but you can do that. You can have well, separate. Because I was spending on that and in our joint account. Well, but that's also, <laughs> that's how you got caught. But in the same token, if you simply said, listen, I have X amount of money every month in my account and I want to blow it any way I want, I think that's a great way to do it. The only thing we may ever run into really is Amazon. That's about the only crossover that we do have. So when we do order on Amazon, we just say, please don't go look at the orders. Okay, let's sum it all up and let's do the recap. Okay, so... There's only two ways to go. Either you split your budget up between two people or you have one unified budget. So if you choose to split your budget up between two people, you definitely have to have more complications of maintenance and determining how and where money is going to be spent and saved and invested. Keep in mind that you also need to determine the rainy day and emergency funds and hitting that 10 to 15% goal in your retirement in your separate budgets. And also this may detract from you being one unit, one team, it's like being on a sports team, the best end result is you work together to get to that goal. I find a happy medium might be each of you have an account and have equal value to that. That gives you some control. That's your discretionary spending to do whatever you want, but it doesn't take away from the big picture joint finances. Keep in mind also, as we've talked in the past, is you want to make sure from an estate planning perspective that you have each other covered as a beneficiary. So remember, the TOD or transfer on death, you have a second checking account or a separate checking account. You want to make sure that you add each other as a TOD on that. And to cap that off, you are keeping each other honest by doing checks and balances because you're managing the same budget. 
Either way, you need to determine what works for you. The majority of people tend to do it as a unified budget, but what is most important, regardless of which way you go, in either case, you guys have to have agreements on how you're going to budget and how you're going to manage that money. Okay, so that's going to complete this first financial topic on unified budgeting. And now we're going to shift over to the second topic. Actually, this is our second anniversary type story this week. And this has to do with a baseball player, a former baseball player named Bobby Bonilla. He was a player for the New York Mets. And at that time, he had a salary due to him of $5.9 million. And at that point, the Mets realized that what they owed him was not worth what his playing value was. Basically, they wanted to dump him. In baseball, salaries are guaranteed, as opposed to football, for example, that has a salary cap. And that says, we do owe you a guaranteed portion in the contract, but there's another portion in the total contract that they do not have to pay you if they cut you. Baseball says, if you suck and you're no good anymore and we don't want you, we still have to pay you. Where do I sign up for that kind of job? Only in sports, Cindy. Man. So here's how the numbers shook out. They said to him, listen, if you don't play and we don't pay you, If you defer your salary for 11 years, we'll give you an additional 8% on top of that and let that grow. And we also know that compound interest is our best friend. So, of course, he'd have to say, listen, I'm not getting any money for 11 years, but that 8% tacking onto that money is really going to start growing. So the deal was that he would get a check from 2011 through 2035 or 25 years in the amount of $1,193,248.20. So for that whole span, every year he'll get this money. So now why did they do that? Okay, this is where the interesting part of the story comes in. From the way it is understood, because the Mets organization never really quite talked about how the deal was contrived, is that they had some tie-ins with this guy named uh, Bernie Madoff. Are you kidding me? Wow. So, and at the time, if you were invested in Madoff, you were making 12 to 15% a year, at least so you thought, right? So you thought. So we'll get back to that in a minute. So as far as Bonilla goes... He decided to take the money, and that means for every year, by the money that I've already pointed out, he would accumulate $29.8 million. So that means he made $23.9 million extra dollars on letting the interest just accumulate. Wow. Right. So it's, right. it's Makes crazy. Makes sense. So, I mean, in, your, in his mind, of course. So if your boss said, listen, Cindy, you know what? I'm done with you, and I'll defer your salary for a number of years at the same kind of deal. And you had the ability to afford it. I mean, this guy is making six times his money. Right. It's like. So I, wait, I suck and I get paid. Absolutely. Bring it on. Right. So, I mean, I would borrow the money even at a bad interest rate knowing in the long run I'm going to get all this extra dough. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. So back to the Madoff point. This is 2000. So they figured in 2011 they have to start paying Bonilla, right? And they thought, well, listen, if I'm making all this interest through Madoff, they would have accumulated $16.83 million at the time. And then even with paying Bonilla off every year, they would end up with a $49 million profit on the deal. So really, if you did the math, they said, listen, we would profit $49 million and still yeah, pay the guy 29.8. Yep. But uh, it didn't turn out so well because that... Because uh, that, that guy. That guy. Yeah. Uh, he stooped a lot of people, and oh uh, so the Mets lost out on that deal. So if you're in the baseball world, every July 1st when he gets paid, the Twitter area blows up, and they always like pay O to Bobby Benia's $1.192 million paycheck every year. Happy anniversary, Bobby. Happy Coming anniversary, up. Bobby. <laughs> I love that story. Okay, after a three-week hiatus and a lot of requests from the listeners, we are bringing back the coronavirus montage. Da, 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 da. Okay, you're a dark. <laughs> I know, I'm a dark. <laughs> 
The coronavirus montage is a set of stories that are not found in the mainstream media so that we can talk about them and take you away from everyday life. Okay, the first story I'm going to talk about has to do with Apple Maps. In this upcoming release, they are going to help you understand where the red light cameras are so that you can avoid routes that take you there so that you don't get busted by the cameras and get a ticket. Have you ever been busted by a red light camera? (laughs) I actually have. And I remember going to visit my parents in Illinois and I was following my friend, Sarah, because we laughed about it later because I'm like, she turned and I'm like, okay, I'm going to turn too. And I rolled, apparently rolled through the stop sign. It was pretty funny because I, I was writing the court and I'm like, no, I didn't. I fully stopped. So what the court does when you challenge them, is they actually send you a link to the video of you at that red light. You know, the person on the other end of the emails is clicking <laughs> going busted. Busted. Oh, it was hilarious. I'm like, Sarah, check this out. Watch you go and then watch me literally not stop at all. And then went right through it. I was playing yeah, follow the Sarah. Yeah, because you were playing follow the leader or Sarah and didn't want to get behind. And so you you have that feeling when you go through that light that it's pinkish. You're probably doing it. I was pretty sure I stopped, but clearly I didn't. So yes, the answer is yes. So pretty cool. Last year, Google Maps also added some of these features. And they actually own Waze, which I did not know. So they've also done that. Okay, on to the next story. And this talks about a bill that's being proposed out there that will stop Donald Trump from giving him the ability to nuke a hurricane. So anyway, I thought that was funny, but this is actually a true story. And it says that uh, hurricane experts have said that detonating nuclear bombs in a hurricane would do very little to disrupt it. Well, is that kind of like putting bleach inside your body to stop the coronavirus? That is so scary. The report actually says that Trump suggested several times that senior Homeland Security and national security officials look into using nuclear bombs to stop hurricanes from hitting the U.S., in quotes. In fairness, not just to pick on Trump, there are other people who thought that this could be a possibility as well. <laughs> well, if there's a hurricane, they, it's at least named after that Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> and I don't know if people like this Trump impression, but uh, Cindy really seems to I like it. Your, I do love your Trump impressions. I do. Okay, for this next story, it was actually out in early April, but we wanted to cover it because the toilet paper's hopefully getting better, but in many stores you still don't see it. But Great toilet paper caper. I know. Even in Costco, it's still not there. Well, we finally have it. I actually like the toilet paper you just bought. I found that in Costco, but now the Costco brand is still not there yeah, that we usually you buy. some really soft stuff. Anyway. Anyway, this story is about a bakery in Helsinki. And what happened was, because of the corona problem, people weren't going to the bakery because they didn't have the money or couldn't even go out, as it were. And people were flocking to buy the toilet paper. So the owner of the bakery, she decided to make actual toilet paper rolls that look like cake. And they look just like toilet paper rolls. So she made cake in the shape of toilet paper rolls. Actually, I'm looking at it on the shelf in the picture. It looks like a toilet paper roll. That's amazing. Actually, on the cake, it is simulating as if you could grab a sheet of the paper or slash pull the roll down. So, yeah, this cake is pretty cool. And even cooler is this woman thought that she may have to put her people on furlough or maybe go into bankruptcy. However, with the increased sales, she has now actually hired two additional people. That's you know, fantastic. her business is actually thriving at this point where it was going to go defunct. So I've also been reading with this newfound success that this woman now is also going to create some poop cake to go along with the toilet paper roll. Ah, that's disgusting. I hope you're kidding. You were gullible on that one. I'm only kidding. Okay. You have the humor of like a 14-year-old boy. 
All right, so we'll move on to the next story. And what do you got queued up over there? Well, this is owed to our married couple still working from home, and they are discovering things about each other that are quite hilarious. So first one is, a funny thing about quarantining is hearing your partner in full work mode for the first time. Like, I'm married to the, let's circle back on that guy. Who knew? That's the guy who uses all those superlatives in the business talk, right? Like, it happens in my world a lot with my profession because there's a lot of meetings that I go to. It's kind of like if you went and said, hey, uh, honey, what would you like for dinner? And I'd say, okay, you know what? Well, why don't we put that one in the parking lot and we can meet later because I'm going to need some more color on those comments. <laughs> and then once we, you know, address things, we'll come up with a roadmap. So we'll see what happens later on when we meet. Yeah, that's good. Who would, who, but who talks like that to each other? Like, <laughs> yeah. you don't talk like that to you. The end of the day, let's figure this out, right? Yeah, it doesn't really happen in real oh my life. my God, that's so true. That's funny. All right, I like this one. Having an artist spouse working from home is crazy. Like, damn, bitch, you really do draw all day. Damn, bitch. <laughs> Next one is, the husband's working from home confirms one thing. He does nothing in the office other than being an irritant. Now, all of a sudden, it's kind of like the husband is busted because he could be saying, honey, man, I'm really slammed at work. You know, it's really been killing me. Sorry for all the hours, blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, what she's learning is that <laughs> he, doesn't do he's, he doesn't do shit. <laughs> Here's another one, and people are kind of like make-believing that they're in the office together, right? So this one says, my husband and I are both working from home, and he's just sent around a memo about total ban on office relationships. So basically, it's like, well, I can no longer cheat on my wife with my wife. Right. That's kind of like, um, you know, you and I in the beginning, I'm like, well, let's pretend like, you know, let's go to the janitor's closet, right? <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, it, it was kind of... No, we have a ban on it. It's kind of goofy. Now we banned it. We banned ourselves from it. <laughs> All right, I like this one. Day three of working from home, I just walked by the kitchen and said, crazy weather we've been having. Any big plans for the weekend? To my wife. Yeah, let's talk to my wife about my wife, about what we're going to do together. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, 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 it's goofy. Make him believe that you're at the office. Like, you're so desperate office talk and conversation like what are you doing this weekend did you did you see sally and jane arguing <laughs> at the mailbox yesterday you saw mr pudge sleeping on the job under the desk yeah and that that johnson next door is such an asshole he's always lighting <laughs> off the fireworks at 11 o'clock and right. scaring the shit out of my dog <laughs> it's kind of weird because it's one of those things where you have your own place to work and you have your own place to work and then when you maybe meet at the kitchen or something it's like it's a separate world so, yeah, and the conversations are never about the same thing that we're doing, which is what we're doing because we're working together. But you, if you had, if you were a colleague of mine, we might say something about what goes on around the office or about somebody or something, right? right? It is funny though. It's like because when you are working from home together, you do keep your separate space. It's kind of like at times, it's like working in an office. It's like I pass you upstairs when you're going downstairs and. Like, hey, how you doing? And then yeah. sometimes ever, or you ever see somebody and you've already been a couple times, you, oh. right? So like you don't even You're say like, anything. Or, or no, I used to work with a girl and ever, I could pass her 10 times a day and she's like, hey, how you doing? Okay, I'm just as good as I was five minutes ago when you passed me in the hall at the copier and asked me how I was doing. She was famous for that. It's kind of like Dory because she has short-term memory. So basically you try to avoid her. Yeah. So you try to find another path to avoid her, even though she's doing absolutely nothing wrong. Okay, so that's going to do it for this week's coronavirus montage. And that means we're going to get on to the next topic, which is the human interest story of the week. So what do you got for us, kid? 
He's still channeling our 1920s ghosts in our house. You're one hell of a dame. Okay, so what's hot off the press? <laughs> Stop. Okay. Okay, so this is a great story with multiple components, actually. So about finding another true love. So this is about a Cavell, Utah couple that began back in early December when 76-year-old Enoch Bell called up 83-year-old Ann Markison to ask her out on a date. And both of them had lost their spouses within the last few years. Enoch had been married 50 years and Ann actually 60 years of marriage. So it was a blind date set up by a friend of theirs. And he called her and said, a mutual friend thought we should meet each other. So she gave me Ann's phone number and I called her up. Ann remembers that initial conversation well. He said, hello, this is Enoch Bell. Kenny Burns said I should call you and I might want to marry you. Ann recalls, adding dryly, I told him we'd see how things go. He's 76, Uh, she's 83. Now, this guy's not messing around. He's 76. He knows exactly what he wants, and he's going out to get it. How sweet is that? So, basically, one of Ann's children said, you know, they all were laughing about it, the way he brought up marriage at that initial phone call. He said, you'll have to forgive me. I haven't dated in about 50 years. And Ann's daughter said, and my mom said, I haven't either. We'll stumble through this together. I don't think they're going to the malt shop with the cherry on top of the whipped cream with the straw together. No, but how cute is this? So this was back in December, right? Pre-COVID. So they ended up going on a couple dates. They went to church together. And as it turns out, in February, he ended up proposing to her. I think, it, you know, much to the chagrin at the family at first. But basically, they just fell in love and they felt like they were they said they felt like they're in high school all over again i think what happens when you get to be that age even with us when we got together there are certain things that you just kind of cut corners meaning you've been around the block certain things have transpired in your life so you kind of know dated other people didn't didn't even think twice about even being together with somebody for a well you're also establishing your personality and character you're probably not going to change too much one way or the other so you are what you are, and like you can just whip I it know. out and say, this is the way things are, and I'm going to tell yeah. you how I feel. So We fast-tracked it. We knew. We knew right away. Well, I'm sure at 76 and 83, you're like, listen, I don't. who knows what my next day is going to bring? So let's get moving, and let's uh, have some fun together and see what happens. Yeah, so they said, you know, was it love at first sight for the two? She said, for me, it was like at first sight. I wanted to go out with them again. And then date number two came at the little Tabernacle Choir Christmas concert. And then he ended up proposing. And this is the great thing is when COVID hit, indicative of the time they had to scale down the wedding, and it ended up that they got married on Zoom with all their family and friends present. Boy, the world has changed. But you know what? Especially them doing it over video was probably something they could have never imagined, let alone us. But you know what? They figured it out, and uh, you know, at least they get to be together, and the other people just had to watch from their computer screens. Right, and he popped the question on February 29th, which was kind of cool. This was leap day. She ended up texting at her age, 83, texting her daughter saying, Enoch popped the question, and I'm going to marry him. Well, he said, it, he, didn't, it didn't take her long to fall in love then since no, December. I think it's so sweet. So they have a picture of them together. And by the way, she said between their busy lives, she didn't know if they would have even gotten the chance to know each other so well if it weren't for the coronavirus. So here's another silver lining story. So here's to you. May you have many more anniversaries to come. Oh, by the way, there's one other thing. I, I'm sure you don't know this, but their wedding cake was a stack of toilet paper rolls that they got that from the lady in Helsinki from the other story. All righty, that is going to do it for this week's Human Interest Story. 
and this will also do it for the podcast this week. You can find us on somm.podcast on Instagram, and if you have not done so already, please subscribe to the show. Until next week, until then, I am David. And I am Cindy. Cindy.